Welcome to episode 273 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm here in the studio with Marshall. <laughs> oh shit. Can yeah. I introduce you? Yeah, that's me. I'm Brian Lovin, here in the studio with... Marshall Bach, here in the studio with... Brian Lovin, <laughs> hot in an infinite loop with... <laughs> Marshall Bach. Oh shit. Uh, we're back. We're in the same room together for the first time, I think. This is the first time we've recorded together in three months? Yeah, long time. You've been on the plane traveling biz for a while. Yeah. Feels good. I'm reclined on the couch. Marshall is sitting in his chair, staring at me intently as though we were about to enter the deepest therapy session. (laughs) Now, uh, how does it make you feel? (laughs) Comfortable. (laughs) We've got a good show coming up. We're going to do a little bit of follow up on last week. We had a lot of people write in with responses to last week's discussion, especially around the ability to quit Google Chrome. Surprise, surprise. That was the most uh, response I think we've ever gotten from an episode. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. People upset that we maybe mischaracterized the usefulness of press and hold to quit Google Chrome. Anyways, we'll get into that. uh, And then we have some news that we want to cover from this week. Before we get into that, we have a sponsor this week, which is us. I just want to give a quick plug to the Spec Network. We've got a lot of shows for designers and developers at spec.fm. So if you're enjoying the show and and afterwards, if you want to hear more podcasts for you, go to spec.fm. We've got a bunch of shows. I think all of them are updated weekly. So there's tons of content to dig into. And then we've also got a job board. If you go to spec.fm slash jobs, if you're looking for a job, we've got some listings up there. And then if your company is looking to get your hiring opportunities in front of other designers and developers, you can post the listing there. It's pretty affordable. So that's all at spec.fm. Go check it out. That's it for the sponsors. Pretty easy. So let's do some follow-up, Brian. Let's do it. Okay. So the first thing I want to say is I fucked up. Classic. Yeah. Not too bad. It was like a tangential fuck up. Okay. <laughs> like one level of fuckery. Yeah. So uh, last week we talked about the Dunning-Kruger effect. I referred to the peak as Stupid Mountain and the valley following it as the Valley of Doubt. But they are truly called Mount Stupid and the Valley of Despair, which in addition to sounding like a Harry Potter book, also, <laughs> they're basically the same thing. Like it was off by one, but the, the idea is right there. So Harry Potter and the Valley of Despair. Mm-hmm. That works. Okay. So you made a small error corrected here for posterity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't let that one slide, but never. Cool. What else? Uh, what else? So we, we also talked about the new iPad and uh, we talked about the Apple event. And one of the things that I wanted to point out, we, we were talking about how thin the bezels are and how difficult it might be to hold. I now have an iPad and it's not a problem to hold it. But I wanted to point out, if you go back and look at the October event, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, if you go to the hour and 10 minute mark, the woman who's doing the Adobe presentation is holding her iPad, uh, getting ready to do like a, an AR thing. And the way she's holding the iPad looks so precarious. It looks like she's holding a hand of cards in a game of poker, except those hands of cards weigh like six pounds or whatever. <laughs> iPad weighs two pounds. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't want to touch the screen because, I mean, she's doing a demo in front of thousands of millions, if you count the online viewers. Like, she's doing this demo and doesn't want to accidentally close the app or like press something wrong. So she's doing her best to keep her thumb off of the screen. But as such, she's holding it in the most awkward way possible <laughs> yeah yeah in a way that like hurt my hand to look at her holding it yeah exactly yeah yeah and in a way that i'm looking at it going like oh one errant tap and you're just gonna push that thing backwards and drop it on stage in front of all these people like i was so nervous watching it i should have mentioned this last week but it's something i wanted to bring up if you want to have a uh, have some heart palpitations pull up uh, one hour and 10 minutes on the on the uh, apple of it and just watch and cringe but in practice you haven't had any issues holding it no no it's fine yeah and you can you can get some thumb overlap on the screen it doesn't really matter they ignore it 
cool and but the new ipad's awesome I love yeah it. it looks beautiful it's very heavy with the the keyboard case and the and the pencil my one qualm from having held it with the case both times was the way the case unfolds in such a way that you're just holding the ipad as your fingers press the keys on the back mm-hmm. it doesn't do anything it doesn't do anything it just feels uh, weird yeah it's, it's a horrible experience to hold it so i, I would Assume that they would come up with some way to flip the case, design in such a way that it folds so that the keys face inside. They did this before, right? With that origami case from the previous oh, right. big iPad, or I guess both of the iPads, but they, the way it was set up... Then it had like the awkward fold. Yeah, it had a weird fold and it had a tendency for the iPad to flop down on the keyboard if it was tilted in the wrong way. This holds it much better. It's a more stable thing, even though, yes, when you flip it around to use it in pad mode, your fingers do touch the keys. But again, it doesn't do anything. You use the word horrible. I'm not necessarily sure that I would use the word horrible. I can think of a lot worse experiences than... It feels like the worst thing I've ever experienced in my <laughs> life. We don't we don't exaggerate on this show, Marshall. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. There's no uh, hyperbole on this podcast. We, we tell it like it is. Always. Just straight up, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad experience. <laughs> so last week I, I complained about the command H to hide layers, hide show layers and sketch. And I got a uh, response from Kevin Gutowski, Kev Gski on, on the tweets saying that he can write a quick sketch plugin for me to to fix the layer hiding functionality. He said he was going to send it over that night. He did not. But um, Oh shit. A called public out, call called out in public. <laughs> Sorry. Forget Kev. that shit to me. So I can share it with the community. Like yeah, I think we'll tweet it, Kev. Yeah, I'm not the only person that this affected, I assume. There's at least a dozen of you worldwide that care about keyboard There's shortcuts. Dozens much. Of us. Literally dozens. <laughs> dozens. Of us. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put that link in the show notes. <laughs> but yeah, so it seems as though there is a workaround for it. And that's something that if, if Kevin does share that with me, I will share it with all of you, hopefully in the show notes by the time this comes out. But look forward to that. So yeah, so that was that follow up. And then the final follow up was also on a command thing, Brian. Y'all, everybody, this is, I think, the most tweets we've gotten was uh, last week we talked about how Chrome had switched the behavior of command Q on Mac OS, which is to quit an app. They changed it so you have to hold it, press and hold. And it shows a little sort of toast overlay if you tap it it says hold to quit i think last week we just talked about how this was an interesting way to stray from the expectation of the operating system uh they change the default behavior and usually changing the default behavior is a bad idea usually a bad idea i think most people that responded because of jacob's law because of jacob's law which if you'll remember from episode 271 of the design details podcast (laughs) so I guess I'm a little bit torn because I understand why people... So so the responses said, this is the best change ever because I almost never intentionally quit Google Chrome and the fact that Command W to close a tab is such a common shortcut and it's right next to the queue. An unintentional quit is more common than an intentional quit. So I agree with that. And then, I, you know, as we discussed after the fact was... We almost never quit Chrome. Right. So almost always up. It's like kind of one of the the default apps. So like Chromebooks exist, right? It's like you can do most things with with it open. But I think that's actually an argument for the long press of Q, right? Like it is. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm saying I'm, I guess I'm coming around to the fact that it seems like a bad idea in general to override a default behavior. But in this specific case, perhaps it, it doesn't matter and is a net positive for most users who are like us who don't usually quit Chrome. It's just mm-hmm. kind of there. So you could assume that command Q is unintentional. All right, let's get into some news. So my poor friend, Josh Hemsley, who I actually don't know, 
he published the fateful tweet in which he shared a screenshot of his Figma file. And he said, six people in Figma design, only one is a designer. One of the many reasons I love this tool. And holy fuck, design Twitter lost its goddamn mind. Design Twitter never loses its mind, though. No, we always keep our cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a very well-mannered, even-tempered community. So I'll give the high-level reason for the freak out. I think People saw this and said, it is my worst nightmare to be in a design file with other people who are not designers. So Marshall, I showed you the tweet. You saw the screenshot. We had a little time to digest. What's your lukewarm mid, mid-hot mid take on this scenario? I got, a, I got a cold take on this one. So first off, everyone is a designer. Oh, shit. <laughs> that's that's a thing he went there <laughs> you need to accept it's not necessarily a thing that is true but it's a thing that you need to accept as true everyone can be a designer everyone can have opinions on design not everybody can have opinions on code not everybody can have opinions on like business decisions not everybody has that mind but everybody kind of knows what design should be and they everyone has used stuff enough to have input have an opinion on where a button should be or what a thing should look like. But I think you'd admit there's a gradient within that of good opinions and bad opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, ascribing any sort of quality to the, to the feedback. <laughs> Only that the quality exists, yeah. But this is a, a reality that you're going to have to accept is anytime you show something to somebody, whether they are qualified to opine on it or not, is, is out the window. It doesn't matter. They're going to say shit because everybody's a designer. I think there's this kind of philosophy that some designers have that designers are architects and engineers are construction workers and the uh, construction worker can have nothing to say about what goes in the blueprints they're just the force that makes the blueprints come to life like they're the executors of the blueprints but they don't have anything to say about their production and i think that's wrong i think it's good to have opinions from everybody uh regardless of whether you listen to them it's you know Good ideas can come from anywhere, and when you shut people out, that's that's usually bad. Morgan had a really good response on here. The initial bit that he said is like, the reasons that you don't let people see your designs are either insecurity or, what was the second one? You have a shitty boss that doesn't know how to give constructive feedback yeah, yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, people who don't know how to give feedback. So, and, and I think that first one is probably the lion's share of the reason not to show stuff to people. It's not ready. It's not ready. Either you're going to give me feedback that I don't want to hear, or you're going to give me feedback that I already know. And it's like, yeah, 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 yes. Don't waste your time trying to fix a thing that I know is broken. Like it's not ready yet. It hasn't baked fully. But like once it's baked fully, then it's really hard to change. It's too late. Yeah. Now you're having to make the trade off of like, okay, I did all the work and made it final, but now we're changing stuff, which has large ramifications on everything. And I'm gonna have to basically take it from gray box all the way up to hi-fi again. And if you do that in isolation, you're going to end up with something that isn't incorporating everyone's perspective. This is why we build large, diverse teams is because your life experience is not like other people's life experience and your way of thinking about this product is not the same way as everybody else's. So the more opinions you have, the more realistic, real world feedback you're getting before you show it to the real world. Yeah, I I think there's just something about Twitter's 280 character limit that fails to capture the nuance of situations. Who would have thought? I thought the reaction to Josh's tweet was wholly unnecessary. I think it's really, really obvious in his screenshot. He's not designing something from scratch with six other people in the design document and everyone's moving layers around. It's incredibly obvious that there is 
a flow that has been designed in which he is getting stakeholder feedback in a real-time collaborative way where people can use their cursors and point at an element and he can see that cursor across the internet and say, oh, I see what you're looking at. It's a collaborative thing. And I think that's what he was trying to call out about Figma, which I agree with. Yeah, that's how I took it. 90% of the responses, I would say, and a lot, a lot of them are quote tweets and you kind of have to hunt to find them are, this is my worst nightmare. If I worked at a place like this, I would quit. It seemed frustrating or it made me frustrated because I actually really dislike this perpetuation of the idea that a designer sits on a mountain in isolation in their fortress of solitude, envisioning that which will be perfect. And when they descend from the mountain and, and bestow it upon their lowly front end engineers, it is, you know, yeah, the tablet of, of creation of mankind. Mm -hmm. Here's God's word. Now enact it. I hate that shit. And I, yeah. I really dislike people that perpetuate this idea. But again, I'm missing nuance here because, and you said earlier the word boundaries. I think there is a little bit of that that's needed in the same way that like an engineer doesn't want to have every other uh, sort of cross-functional team breathing down their neck while they're programming. A designer needs space to think clearly and, and ideate without fear of you know, ridicule or, or people pointing and saying, that's obviously bad. Like a designer can sit on their own and go through a hundred bad ideas to get to a good one. Right. Which is necessary. Which is necessary. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a boundary here, but I think I think Morgan kind of nailed it with, with his response. I think a lot of it is insecurity about showing work early. And so there's this drive to wait till the last possible minute because that will, in theory, be the most perfect that the iteration could be from the single person. And what you're doing is you're, you're baking in the inability for anyone else to say that what you've done is not perfect. Yeah. Which is like very egotistical and know-it-all. <laughs> like maybe it isn't, that's not the intention, but that's how it comes across to other teams of like, oh, okay, you know everything and you are sabotaging this thing taking it to the last second, there's no time to make any changes now. Um, so even if we wanted to change stuff, there wouldn't be time. So I think it's selfish to to hoard your designs, even though I have that inclination myself. Like, Yeah, me too. I, I think I can argue it both ways because I've, I feel this so much where you have something that's work in progress and you know it's not perfect, you know the flaws in it. And what you don't want to happen is for somebody to get focused on an element which you're not talking about, which you know will change or, or isn't fully fleshed out. So as a result, you like, either zoom in on a specific piece and say like, ignore the rest, or you sort of fake the presentation, like focus on, on individual things and, yeah. and you hide work in that way because you don't want to derail the conversation. So I've been there, but I think it's, it's very easy for that line of thought to bleed into the things which need collaboration and need six people sitting in the document pointing and saying, why is this this way? Even if those people aren't designers by title. Especially if those people aren't designers. Yeah, especially if they're the engineers that are looking at a flow like, uh, how the fuck are we going to build this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or, I mean, they're not necessarily as well versed in all of the different patterns and stuff that we might be versed in, and which makes them more like an average user, in which case their opinion is very, very valuable because that's yeah. your real type of user. But you, you brought up a really great point, which uh, a listener of the show just started at Google and hit me up through email and was like doing a chat for a little bit. Yeah. So we talked for a while. One of the questions he asked me was like, how do I deal with a micromanagey manager? And so I asked him a few questions and it, and it became apparent that either the manager was looking at his work too early and giving advice 
that he already knew and it just like he hadn't gotten to that yet it's like yeah yeah, yeah this is i'm in the middle of stuff like don't but you can't say that to your manager especially after you first started a position it's like i'm not gonna tell your manager yeah yeah shut up i know it i know what i'm doing so he's like how do i how do i deal with this and my advice if you're curious was like just let them do it and if they trust you as a designer they'll probably only tell you that thing once and as long as you don't make the same mistake multiple times you'll only have to listen to feedback you're already aware of once each but another part of it is like maybe they're trying to show off maybe that's the wrong terminology but like they're trying to let you know that they deserve the position that they have over you as your direct manager it's like i know how to design posturing at the beginning yeah Yeah. exactly like i'm not just a pencil pusher i'm not just middle management i've been in the trenches i know how this stuff works let me show off a little bit so you trust me Right. That's interesting. Which, again, is another good reason to just let them do it and just put up with it. But yeah, I think I think a lot of this comes from like it just it's just too early, but that's okay. Like you can you can ignore that stuff and telling people that you already know something almost never comes off the way you want it to. So yeah. just like suck it up and then deal. Yeah. Having this feature would make that far more prevalent, not just with your manager, but with other people that you're working in, PMs and engineer, like people on your team. So, but but again, that that process, like to go to my analogy, like the PM is the client and they decide what the, the, the product needs and they give it to you, the designer, the architect to drop the plans. And then you give that to the uh, construction workers to execute that's not how that's not how it should be. It's not a it's not a one way parallel flow. It's a continuum that goes back and forth. It ebbs and flows and good advice comes from all over. And that helps build the design to be as good as it can be so that when you do show it to research or when you do launch it, it is as strong as it can be because it is kind of like the scientific method. It is it has had peer review and yeah, been yeah, subject yeah. to it's some level of scrutiny. Exactly. So I think it's a good thing, but that's me. Well, I think this gets into one of the challenges of being a designer, which, you know, there's lots of challenges. There are finagling pixels and and thinking through flows and stuff like that. But I think one of the harder challenges is learning when and how to present and how to scope a conversation. Yeah. And I feel like the fear of showing work too early is a result of a misscoped presentation. So if you have a lot of work in progress and you're like, oh, I don't want to present it yet because it's not done, pull out the shit that you do want to present, like the one tiny square or like that thing, put it on a new page in your file and then show that file, right? It's like, or, you know, this sounds so obvious, but I think it's hard to do in practice is at the beginning of a presentation, say, do not talk about the colors. Do not talk about the typography. Do not talk about the copy. Set context. Yeah. Set context. Yeah. Set, set scope. But you have to you have to stick to it. I think it's it's hard to stick to it. If someone says, "Yeah, but what about this word?" You have to say, "I hear you, but we're not talking about that in this conversation." Let's talk. We can set up another follow up. This is the hard part. Like this interpersonal stuff is the hard, meaty part of I think shipping a product at a within a complicated organization, right? With multiple roles and for a lot of users who have different use cases and needs and things like that. Yeah, I think especially if you're working on a smaller feature in a larger context, like if you're doing a small feature in a big app where there's lots of existing work. This is actually another piece of advice that I gave him was like, I asked him if he was doing hi-fi mocks and he said, yeah, I'm doing hi-fi mocks, which is why he was getting like, oh, this is a pixel off. I'm like, well, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot there because you're you're saying this is done. This is how I want the final product to look. And my advice was, if you're only working on a small feature in a larger context, 
context, gray box the outside context and only do your hi-fi in the feature that you're you're trying to show. That way people ignore the rest of the stuff. It doesn't matter. It's just the structure, but it should still be pixel perfect accurate to the structure so that it makes sense and nothing changes when you go to actually implement it. You're not surprised by anything thing cropping up. But that way it allows them to focus. It also allows you to focus your time on only the stuff that matters. Everything else out, outside of this you know, little area, like like you were saying earlier, just like just make that really hi-fi, make that exactly what you want it to be. And then they can give you that high level feedback or that detail level feedback of like, this is a pixel off. And if it is a pixel off, well, you've put yourself in you a You had one job kind of yeah. situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think focus not only yourself on what you're working on, but intentionally make other people only focus on the thing you want them to focus on by literally like blurring or just blocking in the other stuff on the page that doesn't matter. Yeah. So Josh, if you're listening to this, holy shit, uh, this is why I don't tweet stuff because the responses here are just absolutely horrendous. (laughs) Yeah. This is why I never give my opinion. Oh, wait, hold on. (laughs) All right. I will link to Josh's tweet if anyone is so inclined to read those responses because they're very easy and fun to pick apart. All right, should we dive into the next bit of conversation, Marshall? Yeah, go for it. Next bit, this was published uh, October 30th. It's an article on Medium by Boris Mueller. Uh, Boris published, Why do all websites look the same? And I'll I'll give a quick high-level synopsis of the the thesis here so he says um, today's internet is bland everything looks the same pages are dry they're driven by frameworks like wordpress and as a result everything is sort of homogenized and case in point he shares a screenshot of dribble next to behance and yep they look the same it's a grid of images with some metadata under the images competitors and their competitors Yeah. yeah he blames this on sort of the evolution of products like WordPress, which encourage templating, and those templates get shared between people building different kinds of websites. Then he says, even with the incredible leaps that we've made in web technology, the fact that it's moving towards something more homogenized is perhaps a problem. He says there's other reasons that he understands why the web might be lacking creativity. Says there are economic and pragmatic reasons why websites might look the same as other websites. But then it gets to this bit. It says, I suspect designers' creative and intellectual laziness is to blame too. In the age of mobile first, generic, framework driven development, nobody seems to bother with the visual and contextual integrity of a web page. All right. So I think Boris is a professor. I might have missed some context here. But, anyways, the article goes on where students are tasked to redesign well-known websites. So one that might stand out is these two people redesign Hacker News in a very interesting way. But anyways, that's not really the point of the article. I think the that last quote is something that I thought would be worth digging into, Marshall, which is, uh, is there creative and intellectual laziness happening right now in, in the design field? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like... I haven't looked at Dribble in a while, but the reason that I don't look at Dribble very often is because it just became everybody doing the same thing. It's like purple to teal gradients and you know <laughs> yeah everybody's rounding the corners really heavily and like i think that is a function of the zeitgeist kind of i think there are eras in design where a style will become popular that was fucking skeuomorphism not too long ago, right? Where everybody was trying to... Yeah. yeah, when when everything was like, oh, this is felt or this is leather or this is wood. 
Like everybody was doing that and not everything looked the same, but everything had the same style. Now that we've stripped away a lot of that skeuomorphism, there's less to distinguish between each thing. And when you have kind of commonly adopted grids and commonly adopted patterns, as to Jacob's Law, it's inevitable that people are going to kind of hone in around a common feel for what a website should look like and feel like. There's a little bit of wiggle room to do your own thing in there. But I think a larger point here is like, a lot of sites are just creating a structure. They're, they're establishing a lattice upon which they drape the content. And by doing that, you put the focus on the content and you the, the creators can put their focus on what is actually going to appear on that page, not so much how it appears, which allows for more content and better quality content. Yeah. And I, I think I would say that's a good thing overall. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you imagine designing a different blog style for every single blog post you do it'd be cool it'd be fucking rad but you would produce a lot less and yeah it would just be a lot harder a lot more overhead and god forbid anything changes you decide to redesign your site because all that stuff's out the window now well there are people who have done this yeah exactly so okay i i did a little bit of digging before we recorded so claudio guglieri who we had on the podcast uh, a long time ago he used to redo his entire website anytime he wanted to publish a new blog post where the website was an expression of the content within that post. So it was like totally intertwined, illustrative, animations, iconography, typography, like everything was about how do I communicate this blog post perfectly. And he did that several times and built up this archive. Claudio, if you're listening to this, what happened to them? I, I, I went back on his website and his website is beautiful and showcases his work and it is a a phenomenal website but i can't find those posts and what's happened is they've all moved to medium which is as generic of a publishing platform as you could possibly imagine Mm -hmm. white with i mean it's good yeah no totally but it's generic because it has to be it's a cms it has to be exactly it's the lattice upon which anybody in the world can drape their words and i guess i felt sad but then I, I was reminded of sort of the, the original po- post that got us on this conversation is like there are pragmatic and economic reasons to have something generic. And I, you know, envisioned Claudio wanting to write a blog post and get something off his mind and having this thought of like, oh, fuck, does that mean I have to redo my entire website just because I want to publish this one thing? It would be really cool, but I'm also kind of busy. And it made me sad that we're stuck in that place where to do something really cool and expressive is a shit ton of work. Like to put that together in, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. It's just a lot of work. And so nobody wants to do it. And so we create an account on Medium. They've done it for us. And mm-hmm. and away we go. But as a result, you lose that expressiveness. So I don't know. I go both ways. I think it also depends on the content, of course. Like if we're talking about applications that, that drive utility for people, it's probably better to have some level of abstraction that makes it easy to understand. But I think blogs and, and personal websites are, it's really hard to find unique ones anymore. Yeah. I guess the question is, are you creating something whose goal is informational or is it artistic? Like, are you are you creating fine art? Is this an, is this an artistic outlet or are you trying to convey information, right? If you're writing an article, and, and these things aren't mutually exclusive, obviously. I think that's what the this original author mm-hmm. was trying to say is like, they aren't mutually exclusive, but we've strained or strayed way too far to one side where we've mm-hmm. lost the art of the web as a canvas for expression and creativity fine art takes a long time right yeah yeah. if you're trying to create any sort of archive like if you're trying to amass a portfolio of work this is the long way to do it not wrong long what what do you think are tools how much blame we should put on the tools for this evolution because i think of every 
single tool that I use now as a designer and, and when I'm building things is how do I maximize or actually minimize the amount of time that the person has to repeat an action, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is reusable, componentized, packaged up and delivered as as this one sort of generic thing that can be plugged into any situation. That's in Sketch, that's in Figma, that's in React, that's in Vue, that's in any programming languages. How do we build these micro components that, given an input, produce the exact same output every single time? So our tools have all been moving in that direction. And I wonder if that evolution of our tools is informing, well, fuck, that's how I have to build websites. You think it's just rubbing off on us? You almost have to do more work to <laughs> like write bad code these days. Like It's become so easy to just make something reusable and generic. I think that creating that system on its own is a, is a huge challenge in itself. Challenging, for sure. But what's the output? like? Maybe this is more a question of where do you find the fun in design? Because you have to make yourself happy before you can make anybody else happy. And I personally find a lot more fun in creating systems than I do in creating one-off pieces of art. And the challenge is so much greater. It's like design a, a blog post layout, right? Like that can take any type of image or any type of text with quotes and stuff. Like how does all this stuff look together? It can be combined in any sort of combination, uh, any order, any device with any device yeah exactly yeah your account and maybe that's another part of it too is like there are so many different size devices i remember back when 320 by 480 was the entire world i think as screens have become more fragmented screen sizes resolutions um, densities everything has become far more fragmented it's it's really hard to make anything that is bespoke to any one device without alienating the vast majority of people and you can't even account for what the future of the devices is going to be so like what's the new 10r iphone 10r resolution yeah oh i don't know it's some fucking wild number right same thing with the smaller new ipad like it's got a new resolution so if you're building things that were pixel perfect which is what used to happen on the original ipad because for years and years and years it never changes 1024 by 768 you can create bespoke images that are made to fit exactly on the screen because it doesn't change and everybody has the same device but that's no longer true so you have to account for variation from any sort of person anywhere in the world using any device and the only way to overcome that is to have some sort of system that solves for everything yeah i guess to sort of echo and expand upon that and this isn't fair to i guess critique this blog post because i'm sure if we had a conversation with boris we would get into a lot of the nuance here oh totally but one thing he called out was ironically today's web technologies have enormous design capabilities like we have evolved web technology an incredible amount in the last 10 years. When you're talking about the tools, like I, I don't think we're hemmed in by the tools necessarily, but they could be rubbing off on us. Or... Oh, well, yeah, I think that's maybe a separate point. But what I was going to say is I think that a lot of that progression in the tooling has just led to solve for the problems of more devices, people with visual impairments, people with mobile impairments. Like if you look through some of the APIs that we have access to now, it's like device orientation and device resizing and screen reader technology and being able to let people click hidden elements and like this stuff is hard to get right but the tooling like a lot of the investment there has been on supporting these edge cases which aren't even really edge cases it's millions and millions and millions of people and then you get into slow networks and crappy old phones and it's like that's where we're investing is making the web more accessible and maybe it'll roundabout like maybe we're just in this accessibility era and then it will be quote unquote solved and in 20 years it will sort of return back and it's like all right it's really easy to make an accessible design that works on any device and any screen size and any network speed 
Now let's get creative and funky with it in a way that doesn't break those like underlying fundamentals. I think until that is the case, it is a far better use of time and effort to account for accessibility and you know, all the things that you mentioned rather than make a bespoke artisanal single batch whatever uh, blog post uh, yes the single batch blog post i think that is why though when you come across one like somebody who's put in the work to do that it's very fun it's special it's special have you seen uh nick jones's website huh. go to narrowdesign.com narrowdesign.com whoa did you recognize the uh, golden ratio there brian yeah try scrolling oh god oh i have seen this yeah 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 well it's really hard to scroll with my mouse wheel it doesn't want to oh do you anything. can't do it with a mouse wheel holy shit Shit, this website was designed for trackpads. Can you scroll up? Uh, if I go fast enough. Yeah, no, this is cool, right? I think we just proved our point. But obviously, Nick is super talented and has built something that's really unique and fun and cool. But you can scroll with it on a mouse. Yeah, and I, I've only seen this on my phone in that context. That's great. But on my big ultra-wide monitor, not the best. I have to I have to spam my, my uh, scroll wheel to to get it past the threshold. Um, and then I can't even scroll down on the individual cards because they're too big for they're too big for my screen. But yeah, and this is the problem. It's like it's not it's not fully accessible for ever. It doesn't it doesn't re- respond to every single screen size because how could you? An input mechanism. Like imagine if you didn't have the same degree of motor control to spam your mouse wheel, right? Yeah, it's like, exactly. This website's gone. It doesn't exist. So this is why video games have gotten rid of... Uh, sorry, to bring it back to video games. Uh, the natural conclusion of every conversation. Yeah. Yeah, everything just orbits around video games and movies and TV shows. Sorry. But on video games, a lot of games have like these quick time events where you have to hit a button really fast or mash a button really fast because you're trying to like pull up a, a dropped door or like, you know, a car that has fallen on somebody's Spider-Man style, right? Like you, you have to spam the X button or something to to make it work, but there are people who just, like literally are physically incapable of doing that. So they've accounted for that by adding a setting that says you just have to hold the button or you just have to tap it once. So they allow the same experience without and it's like graceful degradation. Yes, graceful degradation versus what was the alternative? Ungraceful, saying upgrade your browser. No, <laughs> that is ungraceful degradation, right? Yeah, no, I'm talking about you like, must you must be using Chrome to view this website. It's progressive enhancement versus graceful degradation. Those are the two things. So either you start with something that can be read on a web browser that doesn't support CSS or JavaScript or whatever, and it still is good, Like, and you start from there and then add layers on top of that, or do you start with your final product and start stripping stuff away as they don't have features that are supported? I think we know who won that battle. Turn off JavaScript in your browser and try and use any website on the internet ever. <laughs> See how that goes. But yeah, I think that argument is better for progressive enhancement, right? I don't know. I might have that backwards. It should be. Like, I think progressive enhancement is better because everybody's covered maybe oh it's, yeah yeah having a strong foundation and then iterating from there yeah exactly yeah yeah bill okay well you support this feature well here's what it looks like if you do if you don't here's here's the baseline right? yeah so everybody gets the baseline at the very least and that is purely fully functional and does everything that you would want the product to do and then everything else on top of that is gravy and it still seems like we're just in that phase of defining what these this foundation is dude the web is so young it's so young but then it, even getting into mobile apps and stuff like the hig is evolving you know, materials evolving. Even what, materials younger. on what? Version three? Two. Okay. Yeah. Two, but with multiple sort of steps in between. So all these things are going to keep evolving and, you know, it'll never be done. But I think eventually the foundation will be good enough that a lot of the rules will be, you'll be able to break them without degrading to the degrading the experience for people who don't have the latest and greatest. Yeah, it's not a less than. It's a difference between, oh, I don't have as good of 
a, a device to run this on, my experience is worse as opposed to I have a better device than is necessary. So my experience is better. Right. Okay. Well, that was fun to talk about. We'll have a link to that, that website, that medium post. Anyways. Yeah. I, I think people love to have this creativity argument in, in design circles. Like why do all apps look the same? But I think there's a case to be made for, for why things look the same. Certainly Jacob's law, but then of course, you know, we're still getting this foundation, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. I think. Cool. Should we get into cool yeah, stuff this week? Let's cool some things. My cool thing, surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise. What could it be? What could it be? It's a video game, Brian. Whoa, Marshall, I didn't see yeah. this coming. <laughs> I'm going to talk about a video game. Have you seen the most recent South Park episode? No. A running joke throughout the entire episode is that everybody's playing Red Dead Redemption 2, which is what I'm going to talk about. It's Red Dead Redemption <laughs> oh, 2. I want to watch this. Yeah, so Red Dead Redemption 2 is the newest open world game from Rockstar Games. They are famous for the Grand Theft Auto series. If you have not been living under a rock, you've probably heard of that. And basically, Rockstar makes two games now, it seems, and they come out once about every five years or so. I think this game was in, develop from, in development for eight years, but it was fucking crazy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine working on an app for eight years and it never seeing the light of day until after that time period is over? I think it would be an entirely different feeling of, of launch day. Oh, God. Like our launch days are, well, if it breaks, we can fix it tomorrow. <laughs> but they make basically two games. There's GTA, which is the city open world and red dead is the rural open world right it's urban versus rural and this is <laughs> this is basically a cowboy simulator it's the late 1800s early 1900s you are in a gang and you, it's open world you can do whatever the fuck you want to and it is so good brian the level of realism with the limit of fun is i think unparalleled so for example the horse's poop right <laughs> There's horses in it, and they poop, and the poop sticks around. If if they didn't poop, I would have I would have felt like the video game had truly robbed me. Uh huh. But uh, yeah, the the snow simulation, like walking through knee high snow, looks essentially real. The mud, like when a when a a cart, like an, an, a a wagon rolls through mud, you can see the wheel tracks, like each individual hoof print. It's amazing. It's like the coolest thing, and. There's a really cool thing that you can you can hide the mini map. So as you're in this world, there's not a whole lot of UI on screen. I think part of that is to be immersive because the game itself is so damn immersive. But you can hide even the mini map that lives in the corner, the little circle. You can hide that. So at any given moment, you are seeing only the world. Yeah. yeah, it's just the world. You're in the world. Your character's walking pace is what could be described as a saunter. <laughs> Relaxed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is very slow, which I think is an indication of how Rockstar wants you to play the game. It's like, you're the cowboy, you're this guy. And when you walk around, you walk around slow and you're fucking meandering through. You're not running around like a crazy person, how most people act in video games. It's like you sprint from one mission to another. People have question marks over their heads and you go up and you hit X. This game, like, sure, there are those things, but you you walk, you have a shared camp. You're part of this gang, right? And it's men and women. It's it's more of a family than it is a, a gang. You're, you're not the worst people unless you choose to be the worst people. But people will just come up and talk to you. So when you're in camp, they'll come up and like present quests to you if they're nearby you but there's no like question mark you don't have to go and initiate it it's just like normal conversation they come up with like, hey arthur uh, i noticed this thing can you help me with this thing which is a really again immersive way of of doing a video game it's one of the coolest experiences i've ever had like i'm having so much fun in this game and it seems like everybody's playing it which is why i mentioned the, the south park thing 
have you played it at all yet? No, I just watched I watched you play it when you bought it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, once you get past those like tutorial type stages and get into the meat of the story where you're kind of settled down and you can spread out to the entire map. It's just it's candy, man. And the interesting thing is uh, I was watching a YouTube video. I'll put it in the, in the show notes. The typical open world game has a 40 second radius. Or the, this guy did a, a bunch of research and in most open world games from wherever you're standing at a given moment, if you were to run in any direction for 40 seconds within those 40 seconds, you'll be presented with some sort of side mission or something to do that isn't just run around. The Witcher, I think, was his example, but I think he did some other research and averages around to like 40 seconds. So you're never going longer than a minute without something presenting itself as a way something to occupy you. This game, it's double that. It's 80 seconds. So in addition to the slow walk speed, this seems like a, a very specific mechanical thing that the designers of the game have decided is like, no, you'll go further before something will happen, that the journey is the goal, that the exploration is the goal, the simulation and the feeling of being the character in this world is the goal and it is successful <laughs> so successful I, I can't stop playing it. it's so good and i haven't <laughs> done shit i'm like 30 40 hours in or something and i'm like 26 percent of the way through the story it's like a 60 hour game give or take if yeah. you just kind of go through, go through the normal, missions, yeah. yeah but like i'm doing all the side stuff i'm like hunting i'm fishing i'm like just exploring <laughs> climbing mountains yeah, yeah. watching sunsets off using of the bathroom at appropriate intervals Mm-hmm. Watch my horse take shits, you know, yeah, that's, the yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it is a very, very cool thing. And, and I don't think I'm surprising anybody by this. If you are at all into video games, I'm sure you've heard of it and or are already playing it. So I don't think I'm enlightening, enlightening anyone. I just wanted to gush and dote for a while. So fair enough. I, I enjoy watching people play open worlds like this. I, I don't really get into them. The only open world I ever got into was uh, Breath of the Wild. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, yeah that was the only one that I, I got through. All right, that's good. It is a beautiful game. I've gotten to see Marshall play the the tutorial. So good. You get dirty. Your your hair grows. Like you have to shave. People oh my will comment God. on it. Like, and you can take baths in hotels, or you can go into the water. Your clothes get wet, and you actually will wash off. But if you if you don't take a shower for a while, people start commenting on it. Like, oh my God, yeah, you need to you need to take a bath. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Your horse will get dirty and perform less well. Like you have stamina and you have health that you have to maintain. Not only your current level of health, but like the core of that health. If you don't eat, if you don't sleep, you don't perform as well. You have to take oh naps. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's so good. So I've been playing Super Paragon. There's a spectrum of, of your evil to good and you start dead center. And the more good things you do, the more you head towards good and vice versa. Um, and so I've been playing Paragon, which is good. It's a Mass Effect reference. But if you do decide to be evil and like hold up a store or like rob a stagecoach or a train or something like that, the way it works is whatever clothes you're wearing, whatever your facial hair, if you're showing your face, like you have a bandana you can put over your face for when you do robberies. But if you come back into that same town wearing the same clothes, riding the same horse, even if you shave your hair, facial hair or whatever, even if you they didn't see your face like and cops saw you, like they'll, they'll recognize you. Like I'm probably getting a little bit of this wrong but basically like you need to shave your face change your clothes change your horse to come back into that town without people recognizing you otherwise they'll be like uh that was the dude you're wearing the same <laughs> shit which is how it would be, That's how it would be. we see you <laughs> yeah exactly you're fooling no one Arthur. yeah yeah oh my god it's such a good game anyways i'll, I'll stop talking about well it. i make cool websites thing? for a living marshall <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> half joking though because my cool thing is about one 
billionth as cool as Red Dead Redemption 2. Don't sell yourself for it. It's, it's probably like one millionth as cool. Perhaps more relevant to the, the more technically inclined among us, Marshall. Real quick. Oh, God. Rat hole. Comparing a million and a billion. I was watching a, a TV show and this is crazy. So I did the math. Is it 1,000? <laughs> you would think. <laughs> the, the analogy it was in a show called Seal Team, which is about seals. Oh, sorry, not the animals. The, <laughs> the, the, the Navy the Seals. The Navy Seals, yeah. Military boys. The Navy animals. Strong guys, yeah. No, the, the, so on this show, they were talking about the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire, which doesn't seem like... It's, I mean, it's a big difference, but a million seconds is about 12 days. A billion seconds is about 32 years. Isn't that fucking crazy like that puts it into perspective the difference between a million and a billion anyways sorry your thing is maybe only a millionth as uncool okay a millionth is cool wow i feel so much better thank you Mm -hmm. and just think will will jeff bezos only has like 200 billion yeah it's only a couple centuries 600 years yeah well okay i just want to quickly call out that react for those interested in our learning just put out an alpha this week for 16.7 which introduces a new feature called hooks which is a way to get rid of classes in react and moves react world to functional components that still has access to reacty things like state and lifecycle methods and i don't have much to say about it except i saw the the announcement and been following it on twitter and i kind of was in the mindset of uh it's not official it's still in an alpha i'll just wait and let them work out the kinks but this morning i was bored and i was like all right i'm just gonna start digging in and it is really really fun so not much to dig in here except if you are interested in react or have been using it i highly recommend just setting up the side project or, or doing something non-critical and upgrading it to react 16.7 the alpha and playing with hooks it is very fun i think uh they're going in exciting directions and it is very fun to play with so before you uh kill anybody's projects are there any like major known deal breaker issues with it or is it going to like ruin anything if people play around with it or no actually i think react has a really really beautiful approach to their development which is actually what we just talked about which is the progressive enhancement so when they build a new feature this is do you know what i mean when i say like the classes versus functional components or do you want context give me context all right so there's this concept in react of or in javascript in general of classes and within classes you can have methods that and have like state within that class. The React team has has learned that classes are one of the biggest barriers to entry for people learning React because it's more confusing. Conceptually, it's a barrier? Conceptually, it's confusing as well as there's just syntactical problems with the language with like the binding of this and scoping within classes. So it's it's confusing, but a lot of people write their React code with classes. So when they add this new feature called hooks, they're trying to help people move away from needing to use classes. And you can use these like little utility functions that bring in the functionality of a class without having to write a class. But anyways, the way they approach it is everything that you've ever written in the past will still work. This is purely additive and it's opt-in. And that's kind of been their philosophy for a long time with their software development is additive, opt-in, and it will be backwards compatible forever. Like their super old APIs still work. They, they warn against using them, but they still work. They don't deprecate very often? They deprecate stuff, but they will have warnings about upcoming deprecations months and months and months in advance. And I think actually they will still support deprecated features, but they just say like, you might have performance issues or something. So anyways, though, no warnings here. It's just, it's just not done. They're still in an alpha stage. Uh, so you're not going to break anything. It's additive. It will work with your existing code, but they haven't covered all the use cases yet. Mm-hmm. That's it. That, that was cool. Uh, I'll give it to you. <laughs> cool and new. All right, Marshall. That's it. 
That was a good one, Brian. Thanks, no, for, thanks for joining me in person. This is uh, yeah. this is far more successful. The studio is getting a little sweaty, though, so we should wrap up. All right, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let us know. We're on Twitter, at DesignDetailsFM. We actually enjoyed seeing all the tweets last week. Yeah. Love the feedback. Yeah, let us know what you thought about the conversations. Uh, Even if you're telling us we're wrong, and we still appreciate it. That's actually more fun, because then we yeah. have a, a better follow-up next totally. week. Totally. So tweet at us. We're at DesignDetailsFM. If you want more podcasts, go to spec.fm. We've got lots of shows for designers and developers just like you. Huge thank you to Sarah and Drew, our producers and editors who make this show possible, uh, as well as all the other shows on spec.fm. So give Sarah and Drew a huge shout out. We've got links to their Twitters in all of our show notes. Uh, So Sarah and Drew, thank you. Uh, Yeah, spec.fm, design details FM. Get in touch. Send us your questions. We, We love reading and getting feedback and criticism and ideas and questions. It's a lot of fun for us. So keep it coming. Uh, until next week. Bye. Is it as annoying in person as it is over the, the microphone? Every time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're but welcome. I, but the smile on your face makes it okay. Uh, do you notice my mustache from November? It's it's subtle. Yeah, dude. This is like a week. It's like a week of growth. Eleven days. But it accentuates my smile. Oh well, now I can't stop looking at your upper <laughs> lip. <laughs> oh my god.